Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2020 MLB season will be one like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. It's one to one. Welcome to Lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Got a great show for you. Scott Seidenberg does great work with ESPN Radio, the Believe Podcast Network, among other outlets. Going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be talking to him about how, in his opinion, this is the hardest season that he's ever had to handicap. We're also going to be taking a look at some of the games for Tuesday, and we're going to have a lot of fun with that. And then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys a side in total on every game on the Tuesday MLB betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If there's something that you'd like me to answer, fire it in my timeline at Jaren's41. If I've already answered it on this podcast, I will politely send you the link so that way you've got access to it and if you send these via direct message aka dm well those letters cm to me mean does not matter i did not get in any twitter questions today but what we did get on monday a very interesting day of baseball so let's take a look back at the results try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better what happened yesterday let's go around the bases and find out we were curious to see how some of these teams that were coming off of their covid layoff 
with the Milwaukee Brewers. It wasn't necessarily self-induced for the Phillies. They had a couple players test positive, but we can all blame the Marlins for that, how they would respond. And both teams wound up losing. The Chicago White Sox take down the Milwaukee Brewers by a count of 6-4 of for the White Sox. Carlos Rodon, it was not necessarily the start that he had desired. He didn't necessarily get shelled or anything like that. He just wound up going two innings and gave up one run in the process. He threw 22 strikes in 26 pitches. He was pretty much an opener plus. And then from there, you wind up bringing in a grand total of six relievers. Alex Colome is able to get the save. Evan Marshall did a good job in a hold. Ross Detweiler gets a win. Steve Ciszek looked very solid. And then they were able to get two innings out of the bullpen out of Matt Foster. With Mr. Foster, he didn't give up a single run. And Ciszek did wind up giving up one. But by and large, the pitching of the White Sox was solid. And so was the hitting. As you had Yohan Moncada go deep for his second home run the campaign. And then you also had Jose Abreu get his second bomb of the year. He was able to get three RBI in the game for the Milwaukee Brewers. Not necessarily the length that they had desired out of Brett Anderson. We were alerted to this last week when we had Matt Pauley, the Brewers pre- and post-game host for their radio network, joining me. He warned us that Brett Anderson probably wasn't going to go deep. Three innings, he gave up two runs in the process. From there, Corbin Burns winds up going three and two-thirds innings. We remember he was a bit of a failure as a starter. They just left him in a little bit too long in this one. Got five punch-outs, but he gave up two runs in the process. Then from there, the man that winds up taking the loss in this one, that'd be David Phelps. He winds up giving up a run in an inning, and then Corey Knable also gave up a bomb for the Brewers. If you are looking for something encouraging, Christian Yelich, who entered into this game with one hit, he wound up having two in this game. So he has improved his average to a whopping 97. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they were able to get a couple runs up on Garrett Cole, but it wasn't enough. Yankees wind up getting a 6-3 win, as in this one, Jake Arrieta winds up going five innings. He gives up three runs. Wasn't great, wasn't awful. Problem was he gave up a pair of home runs. Going deep for the New York Yankees in this one, the Guardy party. Brett Gardner, he winds up getting his second of the campaign. You also had DJ LeMahieu go deep for his second. And then Gio Urshela winds up being able to get a home run off the bullpen as well as coming in for the... Phillies and giving up that home run was Diolas Guerra. He wound up giving up three runs and recorded two outs in the process, so thanks for a whole lot of nothing there. But for the Philadelphia Phillies, they got a bomb of their own. Jay Bruce wound up taking Garrett Cole deep, his first of the campaign, and for Garrett Cole, very solid start in this one. Six innings, he gives up one run. I believe that he's won each out of his last 15 regular season starts. It's absolutely incredible. The bullpen from there for the New York Yankees was pretty solid. They give up two runs over the course of three innings. They wind up having Brooks Kriske give up a run in just a third of an inning, and then Luis Avilan also gave up a run, but New York Yankees 8-1, currently the best team out there in the big leagues with regards to a record standpoint. A team that has been doing a solid job recently, that would be the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and they are on to a win streak as they wind up taking down the Cleveland Indians by a count of 3-2, making three in a row for the Cincinnati Reds as Sonny Gray has now went 36 straight starts with giving up six hits or fewer in his starts. That is the longest streak in Major League history. In this one, he goes six innings, gives up four hits, two runs, but only one of which was earned, including a home run for the Cleveland Indians. Going deep in this one was Francisco Lindor, his third of the campaign. That's that not really anything of note for the Cleveland Indians offense as they've played one over so far this year in 11 games. It's absolutely insane. And Zach Plesak has actually been pretty insanely good. He does give up three runs over the course of seven innings. As for the Cincinnati Reds, he was taken deep by Joey Votto, his third of the campaign, and Nick Cassianos, his fifth. And for the Cincinnati Reds, Michael Lorenzen, along with Rossio Iglesias and Nate Jones, were able to hold down the fort in the bullpen. And for the Cleveland Indians, they were able to get a solid inning out of Oliver Perez. It was a very solid start for Jacob deGrom. And you're going to Wanted listening to our next segment with Scott Seidenberg. He's going to give you an insane stat of how Jacob DeGrom's record would look if he actually got a little bit of run support as the Mets wind up taking down the Atlanta Braves by a count of 72. 
In this one, just an unfortunate sighting. We found out after the game that it's a torn Achilles for Mike Soroka. He was chasing after a ball. He winds up tearing his Achilles. He goes two and a third innings. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned. That's beside the point because he is out for the year. And then from there, you wind up having to have Chris Russin come into the game. He gave up three runs over the course of three and a third innings. So the Braves were certainly thrown for a loop there. And if you're looking for something good for the Braves, they wound up getting a home run off the bat of Travis Arnaud, his first of the campaign. They had a opportunity to be able to get some runs up on the board as Jurisic Familia, who is Spanish for blown save for the New York Mets, he wound up loading up the bases. That caused Justin Wilson to come in in the seventh inning and wind up putting out the fire. And for the New York Mets, they were able to get a home run off the bat of Wilson Ramos, his first of the campaign, and Robinson Cano, three RBI as the Mets wind up going 5-13 with men in scoring position with Yoana Cespedes opting out of the season. That is no doubt a very good sign for them. What is a good sign for the Minnesota Twins was the fact that they were able to get five runs up on the board as they wind up taking down the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 5-4. And all of a sudden, the Minnesota Twins are on a little bit of a streak of unders as well. They have now played each out of their last seven games to the under. I don't think that a lot of people saw that coming after the Twins set a record for most home runs during the 2019 campaign. And it was a Nelson Cruz ground rule double that wound up giving them the win. The Pirates had a 4-0 lead in the fifth inning and, well, they couldn't do anything from there. But the good news for the Pirates is they were able to get a home run off the bat of Cole Tucker, his first of the campaign. Bad news for the Pirates after it was all said and done. The only player that was in the starting lineup and gotten that bat on Monday that had a batting average leaving the game higher than a 215. That would be Philip Evans. That is absolutely putrid. And for the Pirates, you wound up having Derek Holland get lit up a little bit late in this game. He was able to give a couple solid innings, but he was left in a bit too long. Five and two-thirds innings, he gives up four runs. And then out of the bullpen, the man that wound up giving up that ground rule double, Nick Birdie. And for the Minnesota Twins, if you're looking for something nice for this team, how about the fact that you also have Max Kepler give the team two RBIs. Lewis Sorp got a little bit lit up in this game. He winds up giving up three runs over the course of four innings. But bullpen from there. Five innings gives up one unearned run. The unearned run was given up by Jorge Alcala, but by and large, very good performance from the Minnesota Twins. The Cubs' pitching performance was absolutely terrific. They take down the Kansas City Royals by a count of two to nothing. For the Royals, they get five hits in this one. They go one of seven with men in scoring position. They just couldn't get the big hit. And Danny Duffy, a.k.a. the Duffman, he had a solid performance in this one. He wound up getting into a little bit of trouble in which he wound up giving up a run in the fifth inning. He had the bases loaded with no out. He only gave up one, and that was all that he gave up over the course of six innings. So he was solid there. From there, you had Ian Kennedy give up a run out of the bullpen, but certainly not a bad pitching performance by the Kansas City Royals before the Cubs. Alec Mills, seven shutout innings for them. I've always felt like this guy's a little bit underrated. He doesn't necessarily throw gas or anything like that. He's not going to get you a bunch of punch outs, but he did a good job of keeping the game out in front of them. And then from there, you wound up having Casey Sadler, along with Rowan Wick, who came into this game for the Cubs with the Cubs bullpen ERA hovering right around 8, and they were able to deliver two scoreless innings, so they did a solid job there. The Oakland A's did a very solid job of putting up runs in the fifth inning against the Seattle Mariners. They put up 8 in that inning, and they take down the Seattle Mariners by a count of 11-1. to The A's had played just two overs prior to this game this year, and they had scored more than three runs in nine innings just once this year. That was absolutely insane because we remember that walk-off grand slam to begin the year for them. They were tied 3-3 three to three going into extras, but in this one for the Oakland A's, what was big for them, Chris with a K Davis winds up getting a home run. That is big because this guy's hitting a buck 25, so he needed it. And Frankie Montas 
Terrific start in this one. Seven innings pitch. He does walk four, but he gets nine punch outs. From there, J.B. Wendelkirk along with Lou Trevino were able to give a scoreless inning for the Seattle Mariners. It looked like Justice Sheffield was going to be able to get out of the fifth. He had the bases loaded with two outs, and then from there, things just imploded on him. He wound up giving up four runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings. Brian Shaw came in after him. He got one up. He gave up four runs. That was not good. Zach Gratz gives up two runs out of the bullpen in two innings, and then Nestor Cortez gives up a run in two innings. And for the Seattle Mariners, not a lot doing with the bats. They wind up getting a grand total of four hits in this one, so that no doubt was an issue for them. What was an issue for the LA Dodgers is the fact that they wound up having Walker Buehler only being able to give them five. The Padres wind up getting a 5-4 win in this one for Buehler. He winds up giving up three runs. All solo shots going deep for the San Diego Padres. Will Myers, his third of the campaign. Trent Grisham, his fourth. And Fernando Tatis Jr., his third. And Chris Paddock wound up having a pretty good start in this one. He had a career ERA hovering right around a 5-5 whenever he had faced the Dodgers going into this game. Three runs given up over the course of six innings. He gave up a home run himself, being able to go deep for the L.A. Dodgers. Jack Peterson, it was a leadoff home run. And then later in the game, Cody Bellinger would notch his second home run in the campaign. That was off of Kirby Yates, who, despite the fact that he got the save, still does not look like himself. He now has a 13.50 ERA. He wound up giving up that home run, but the Padres still able to get the job done as he wound up having Emilio Pagan and Drew Pomerantz do a solid job out of the bullpen. And then for the L.A. Dodgers, their bullpen winds up giving up two runs over the course of three innings. Those were both given up by Bruce Sudar. Gret Hall, and then the night was wrapped up by the Colorado Rockies being able to take down the San Francisco Giants by a count of 7-6. If you're a Giants fan, have to like the fact that Mikey Stromsky continues to hit his third home run the campaign. He's now hitting a 333. You had Austin Dickerson being able to get his second of the campaign. And then how about this? Chadwick Trump, who is really filling in for Buster Posey this year at the catcher spot, his second of the year. But Johnny Cueto, he winds up giving up over the course of five plus innings, three runs, two of which were earned. The Giants were by a pair of errors. The Rockies were as well as in this one, one Chichi Gonzalez. He winds up giving up three runs over the course of three innings. But for the Bullpen of the Colorado Rockies. They were able to do a solid job. They combined six innings. They give up three runs, but only two of which were earned. Very solid considering everything that goes on in Coors. Jeff Hoffman wound up getting the win. He was a complete failure of a starter during the 2019 campaign. He wound up getting five outs and not give up a single run. And it was Jario Diaz that got into a little bit of a tricky spot in the ninth, but he was able to get out of it. And for the Colorado Rockies, they were able to get a pair of home runs. Nolan Arenado, his first of the campaign, and same for Chris Owings. As for the San Francisco Giants, giving up a five spot in the sixth inning was really the death of them, as going two outs and giving up three runs, two of which were earned, won the Peralta. So that means that the Giants have not played a single under in any of their last seven games. And that also means that we have come to the end of all the games that took place on Monday. Now it is that time of the podcast to take a little bit of a look forward to Tuesday. Get the thoughts of Scott Seidenberg of ESPN Radio along with the Believe Podcast Network as to everything he's seen so far this season along with all the games that we have for Tuesday. And that's on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we are back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. And it's great to be joined by our next guest as we go out to the northeast part of the country in New York slash New Jersey. That's where we find Scott Seidenberg. He's joined me quite a few times. Always does a terrific job. He's been on ESPN Radio. He does a lot of work with the Believe Podcast Network. That's more or less for his football work. This is a man that does a little bit of everything and he does so, so well. And you can follow him on Twitter at Scott's on air as it is Scott Seidenberg joining me on the podcast and always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. 
Thanks, Greg. And I'm just glad that the baseball season is continuing because uh, Rob Manfred had some pretty decent threats over the weekend, and I'm glad that we're just able to play ball. Oh, I am right there with you. I had a little bit of fear that on Monday I'd be awakened and all my bets would be considered void because they were all canceled out, but certainly has led to just an interesting start to the year in general. And if you're someone with futures right now, You can't be feeling too secure about them. I think that most, if not all, these season win totals at some point are probably going to be void because in most jurisdictions, you need 59 games to be played in order to have action on them. We know that the MLB is trying out these double headers of seven innings, but this is one of these things where I think that the biggest beneficiaries of this MLB season are the people that are going day by day because if you wind up taking a couple days off this MLB season, you might miss out on like a couple star players winding up testing positive for COVID-19. And if you're not reading the newswire, you wake up to the Cincinnati Reds and Detroit Tigers doubleheader. You're seeing, oh, both these totals are under eight. I'm going to pay them a bunch of overs. And it's like, oh, these are seven ending games. I didn't know that. Yeah, this whole season is just absolutely bizarre. And in fact, I think it's one of the hardest seasons to handicap that I've ever experienced because you have the Rules changing on the fly, right? Seven inning doubleheaders they announce a week into the season. The expanded playoffs were announced just hours before first pitch of the season. The runner on second base in extra innings completely changes things because now run lines come into play because a two-run home run is automatically always in play when you start extra innings. To me, this is one of the more difficult seasons combined with the fact that you did not have a traditional spring training. You had some sort of summer camp and then a couple of exhibition games expanded rosters with no minor leagues and no extended spring training. So managers are actually having to try and get guys at bats. Otherwise, they're not swinging at all. So they're trying to juggle pinch hitters and get guys into ball games. pitchers being taken out of the games early because they haven't had a full spring training to get ready. And the three batter rule. How could I forget the three batter rule, which has completely changed the game in terms of handicapping how a bullpen is going to perform. Because now if a guy doesn't have it and walks the first batter on four pitches, you can't pull him from the game, Greg. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I did think that initially the three batter rule was a good one, but that's when we thought that we had 26 man rosters instead of expanded rosters as well. So Certainly a lot has changed from the 2019 season as we do have Scott Seidenberg joining me on the podcast. And what else has changed is some of the standings that we're seeing because who would have thought at this point of the year that the Baltimore Orioles would be above 500, get their first three plus game sweep of a series since 2018. That's really been the big headline for me. I have no idea where this has come from. A lot of us, including myself, thought that the Tampa Bay Rays were really set up for a 60-game season be just because they always play very, very strange with putting in there so many bullpen guys, going with the wholesale approach, just finding offense in any way, shape, or form. And instead, it's been the Baltimore Orioles that have risen up, and the Tampa Bay Rays have been struggling. Yeah, go figure, right? And that's one of the things that you can't almost account for because of the tweak to the schedule. Like, who knows what the Orioles would have done if their schedule wasn't affected, right? If they had played a series against the Marlins before playing the race. To me, this season, it really is. There's only one way to sum it up, Greg. It's 2020. 
right? <laughs> this entire year can just be summed up as, oh, yeah, it's 2020. And the Orioles pulling off a three-game sweep against the heavily favored Rays and cashing in every contrarian bet out there. Yeah, it just gets summed up as it's 2020. But as long as they play the New York Yankees and the Yankees can keep putting up massive amounts of runs against them, I don't think that the Baltimore Orioles are going to go anywhere this season. But they will play the role of spoiler, and they will be a nice contrarian bet if you want to bet them at the plus 200 line that you're going to get them most nights. Absolutely. As we do have Scott Seidenberg joining me right here on the podcast. And we certainly are seeing some tweaks to the schedule for Tuesday, to say the least, because we were supposed to be having the Baltimore Orioles and the New York Yankees this week. Instead, it was played last week, so you've got some moving and shaking with that regard. But you take a look at what is going to be on deck for Tuesday. I do think that we've got a terrific pitcher on the mound in the Cleveland Indians, Shane Bieber. 27 strikeouts in his first two starts. The Indians entered Monday with having played just one of their games the over so far this year. It shows you, for one, just how good the pitching is, and two, just how bad their offense has been. Your total on this game is eight. I do think this might be a little bit of a sneaky look at the over just because Tyler Molly, you take a look at his career with the Cincinnati Reds over the last two years. I think the Reds have won about 20% of his starts. It just has not been good. And I do think that this could be a little bit of a get-right spot for the Indians. And you have to figure at some point, Bieber is going to give up a run. I'm not saying that he's going to get lit up for like seven runs and five innings or anything like that. But I do think that this is a little bit of a sneaky spot for that over. Yeah, I like the over as well, just because it's low. If it was at nine, maybe I wouldn't feel this way, but eight's a good number to jump on the over here. I do think that Cleveland can score. What did Molly give up two runs in his uh, first start of the year? He's a guy that you obviously you know, can bank on scoring some runs off of him. And I just like home underdogs in this spot. And it's not because, again, you have to handicap differently this year. It's not about fans in the ballpark. It's about travel, right? And these teams are now traveling in different ways. They're traveling by bus. The accommodations are different. The way that they can set up in the visiting clubhouse is different. There's just so many factors that are coming into play that, I feel the home teams might be at an advantage because they're more comfortable with the stipulations and all of the restrictions and the extra space or whatnot that they've been dealing with in their home clubhouse and in their home batting cages because they've been doing it throughout this summer camp and the de facto spring training. And it's just extra time. Like, think about the way that a season traditionally starts with players getting ready for a season down in their spring training homes in either Florida or Arizona. When they come to their home ballparks, there might be an adjustment to the line of sight, the batter's eye. Teams have been actually preparing for the season in their own home ballparks. You don't have that adjustment period. So batters are actually pretty comfortable to start the season. We're seeing a guy like Aaron Judge, who is hotter than Hansel right now. That Hansel is so hot right now. But, you know, Aaron Judge is coming out of the gate on fire. Other batters are coming out of the gate. Hot. And sure, some sluggers are slumping like Pete Alonso, but you know, I just think that the home teams do have an advantage because of the comfort level. And that's why, you know, a home dog in this spot, given the nature of the spread, which is going to be in the plus 150 to 160 range, because Cleveland's probably, what are they, minus 175? Yeah. I think the Reds could be a sneaky play here. I think the Reds plus a run and a half is a good play here. We know how talented that lineup is. And yeah, I think the over eight is a really good play here. Yeah, I do agree with you. I do think that Molly's going to give up some runs. A little bit of regression probably going to be setting in for Shane Bieber as well. I still think he's going to give a good start. Tell me if you think that this is the way to go. I've actually been concentrating on first five a lot more this season than I have in the past. And it's because of the expanded rosters and the three batter rule. I just don't know what I'm going to get out of some of these bullpens 
each and every night. And I find it's easier to handicap the starting pitchers in this early part of the season than it is to handicap the rest of the bullpen. And also, as I mentioned, with managers trying to get guys into the lineup because there is no minor leagues or extended spring training. So you got to get them at bat someplace. I don't know if they're going to pinch it for guys later in the game. I'd rather take my chances on the first five. Perfect instance. I had the Giants on the first five against the Rockies. That was a win. The bullpen has blown the lead for the Giants. I just think that playing the first five this year has been to the better's advantage. And maybe that's a way you want to go with someone like Shane Bieber against Molly and, and don't mess with the rest of that game. Just go first five with the Indians. And I would say the big thing, if you are taking a first five is make sure you're taking a reliable starter because we've seen it with the San Francisco giants. Johnny Cueto is a guy that you can expect five innings from, but some of these other guys that they've been trotting out there, they've been going two innings with the Seattle Mariners. If you're betting on them, you're probably not taking a first five cents. They really have no starters whatsoever that's able to give you a really north of four (laughs) innings. So I would say that in spots, it's good. At the same time, if you're really like betting on an over or something like that, it's one of these things where you probably don't want to be taking the first five. You just want to be taking the full game instead. And I do think that this year really highlights the fact that different situations call for different bets because we are seeing a bunch of scratches. We're seeing just a whole bunch of mayhem. If you're betting on an over and a pitcher winds up getting scratched, what are the odds that you're going to be seeing a better pitcher take his place? It's not (laughs) one of these situations in which it's like, oh, you were supposed to get David Peterson of the New York Mets. Instead, you get Jacob DeGrom. Congratulations. No, instead, (laughs) it's probably going to be like, you get Jersich Familia opening for a bullpen game in which you want absolutely no part of. So that's one of those things where you want to go action. You probably want to go full game on the over. Meanwhile, if you're betting on like Max Scherzer, maybe you want to be taking a first five and you certainly want to be going pitcher dependent if you're betting on Max Scherzer. Yeah, exactly. Or Jacob DeGrom, who, by the way, got run support for the first time in ions. I mean, I can't even think about this. I saw this stat and this is unbelievable. Jacob DeGrom in 66 starts since 2018 is 21 and 17. Had they scored four runs in each of those 66 starts for Jacob DeGrom, his win-loss record would be 59-3 and three with oh. four no decisions. Oh. That's how incredible of a pitcher he is. Well, listen, he's a back-to-back Cy Young Award winner, and it could be three years in a row he's going to win the Cy Young in the National League. But think about that. If the Mets just scored four runs per game for him since 2018, he'd be 59-3. and three. That's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, how often do you get a back-to-back Cy Young Award winner who has a 21 and 17 win loss record. I mean, it is just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous as we've got Scott Seidenberg joining me right here on the podcast. So what else is ridiculous is that the Toronto Blue Jays probably shouldn't be called the Toronto Blue Jays this year. They're the Buffalo Blue Jays and they're going to be hitting the road face off against the Atlanta Braves who just wound up losing to the New York Mets on Monday. This is going to be a little bit of a seeky matchup because Matt Shoemaker has not lost a start since 2018. He was actually really good for the Toronto Blue Jays. Wound up having a very unfortunate injury. He has come back from it and he pitched six strong in the team's first start. Meanwhile, he's going up against Max Fried, who in two starts has really been doing a solid job. He's given up three runs in those two starts. He has looked pretty solid. Do you have any sort of a lean on this one? Because I do think that the under might be worth a look. Because while Marcelo Zuna has been able to step up for the Atlanta Braves, they've really been a little bit of a feast or famine offense. With the Toronto Blue Jays, they've been throwing a little bit out of flux because they wound up not being able to play over the weekend. And I really like both of these starting pitchers. So this is a spot where I actually do like the under, but in the first five, because I think the Blue Jays start off slow. And having not played over the weekend, it's a disadvantage for them. Baseball is a sport where you got to play every day. 
and the Blue Jays having these days off is going to affect their bats. And so I think the Blue Jays are going to start off slow, and I have no problem betting against Toronto here and betting against their bats scoring runs. So this is absolutely a first five under spot that I'm looking at and thinking that Fried, who came out pretty well in his two starts, you mentioned Schumacher and how he's been able to toss. I just think this game, which I think the total is at nine for the full game. Yep. I think this is a first five under written all over it. I think the Blue Jays can go down one, two, three in the first couple innings. I do think that that's a very good angle that you're looking at there. I certainly do think that this is going to be a little bit of an interesting spot. It might be a good underdog spot as well for the Blue Jays because, like you mentioned, if they're able to pull out the game late, they're looking at right around like plus 150, plus 160-ish as we're doing this podcast right now. So that is a little bit of value there. If you're looking for the comparison, look at the Phillies, who also didn't play over the weekend. Out of the gate, uh, granted, they're facing Garrett Cole, so not many teams are going to score against Garrett Cole. But they had one run through the first five innings, and that run came on a Jay Bruce solo home run. Again, take it for what it's worth because they were facing against Garrett Cole, but this is a team who did not play over the weekend and is just stepping up to the plate and having to deal with a pretty solid pitcher, much like the Blue Jays are going to have to do tomorrow. And on top of that, with the Milwaukee Brewers, they had one run in their first four innings against the Chicago White Sox, put up two runs in the fifth, one run in the sixth. So they wound up getting their runs a little bit later in the contest as well. Now it helps that Carlos Rodon won a grand total of two innings. So thanks for showing up, Carlos. But certainly one of those situations in which they were able to get their runs a little bit later in the game as well. And I do think that that's going to be an interesting game as well for Tuesday. Brewers versus the Chicago White Sox with Lucas Giolito going up against Brandon Woodruff. Two sneaky guys. I mean, obviously, Giolito became a little bit of a betting darling in 2019, but Woodruff made you a bunch of money if you wanted backing him as well. Total on this game is eight and a half. With the Milwaukee Brewers prior to Monday, they had not been getting any offense to go whatsoever. Meanwhile, the White Sox in their final two games of that series against the Kansas City Royals, a combined 20 runs. We all know about Luis Robert. They wind bringing in Edwin Encarnacion in the offseason. He hasn't necessarily panned out, but by and large, you look at this White Sox team, I trust in their bats just a whole heck of a lot more than the Brewers because you now have Lorenzo Cain out of the fold for the crew as well. Yeah, that's the point I was going to bring up. Not only have they not gotten anything from Christian Yelich this season, you know, you lose Lorenzo Cain at the top of that lineup. A lot of pressure falls on Keston Hira now to set the table. And I just trust, like you said, the, the White Sox, who have been able to put up a ton of runs. I trust them much more than I trust the Brewers' bats right now. I can't bet on the Brewers until I see consistency from them. I didn't see it against the Pirates, even though they did pull out two of those wins. For some reason, they just have not looked good. And maybe that's, you know, because they haven't gotten anything from their best bat. Braun is on the 10-day IL with an infected, what, finger or something. There's just not a lot to like about this Brewers lineup right now. I am right there with you. But there is a lot to like with this Tuesday card, Scott. Is there anything in particular that is really catching your eye? We've seen the LA Dodgers at a little bit of a cheap price in this series against the Padres. As I'm seeing it right now, they're anywhere between minus 125 and minus 130 with Dustin May going on the mound. That's something that's catching my eye. You've got Jesus Lazardo as a favorite against the Texas Rangers. That's fascinating. And then Kyle Hendricks is at home against the Kansas City Royals. We saw what he was able to do in his first start against Wrigley Field. And this is a guy that is completely different home to road. So, okay, normally when you have two aces on the mound, that would lead you to, to play an under, correct? Oh, yeah. Uh, but the two aces that are facing each other are not really aces. 
One, you could argue, even though he was the opening day starter, is not the ace of the staff, and that's Charlie Morton of the Tampa Bay Rays. And the other, Nathan Yavaldi, is an ace by default because the Red Sox have absolutely no pitching whatsoever. Yavaldi, despite the last start against the Mets, which was pretty decent, has been known to give up runs, and we all saw how many runs Morton has given up so far this season. What, eight runs in nine innings so yep. far? I think this is an overplay for sure. I can see the Red Sox and the Rays both be beaten up on each other. I just don't trust both of these starting pitchers right now. If there was a team to trust, and ironically, it's the bad Red Sox team, but the Rays, who just lost three straight to the Orioles as a favorite here with Morton on the hill against Yavaldi, I might favor Yavaldi in this one and take the plus money with the Red Sox, but it's at eight and a half, and I can see this one going over the total. And I'm glad you brought this one up because my New York Post play of the day is Red Sox versus Rays. I'm on the Boston Red Sox. I trust in Evaldi a whole heck of a lot more than Charlie Morton. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, where is the offense coming from right now? I hate the fact that they got rid of Tommy Pham in the offseason. You're bringing Hunter Renfro. Sure, he's going to give you some home runs, but this is a guy that never does a good job of being able to get on base. And you're noticing that with his lineup in general. They're in the top six in the big leagues with regards to walks generated per game, but they're hitting right around as 215 as a collective. Evaldi, if he's done one thing so far this year, he's really limited the walks, and I think that this is just a terrible matchup for the Rays in this spot. Yeah, I just don't like their lineup right now because they're not getting anything that you come to expect from this lineup. Jose Martinez is their number four hitter. How many teams would Jose Martinez be the cleanup hitter on? I don't think you can name more than five. Maybe more than 10 if you want to be generous. I, you look at this lineup, okay, can Diaz get you some home runs? Sure. Margo, maybe. Renfro, maybe. I think their best performer has been, what, Tatsugo? There's really nothing that jumps off the page when you look at this Tampa Bay lineup right now. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Lau has been able to give you a little bit of something. But, I mean, if you're relying upon Brandon Lau, you're really in a horse of peace situation. You can tell how much this team misses Austin Meadows, who's currently out with COVID-19. But yes. one thing that is never missed is the opportunities that we have to get on this podcast. Scott Seidenberg, you always do a terrific job. So let's give people at home know where they're able to follow you on social media. I know that you've been playing a little bit of musical jobs recently, just doing a little bit of radio hosting here and there. So let the good people at home just know what you're working on in general and how they're able to follow along. Yeah, please just follow my Twitter account at Scott's on air at S C O T T S O N A I R. All of my radio hosting appearances go on there. If I'm on ESPN radio or not, you'll see it. We do some live shows on Twitch, which is a lot of fun. So you can join in on the broadcast and comment and chat. Baseball play of the day is posted every single day and just lots of interaction with you guys. So just follow me there and stay tuned because we got hopefully some good things on the horizon, Greg. Absolutely. I'm sure that there are so many of us in this industry that are hoping for good things. And the fact that we just have baseball in general, that certainly is a good thing. And Scott is doing a great job of following that and so much more. So big thanks to Scott Seidenberg for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on Tuesday's MLB Betting Board as we touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Big thanks to our buddy Scott Seidenberg of the Blue Podcast Network along with ESPN Radio nationally and ESPN Radio in New York for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time to podcast. I give you a signed total on every game on the Tuesday MLB betting board as we 
Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. As per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRS41. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order as per usual, and this is going to begin with 901-902 on the betting board, a game in which, well... We're not going to be starting with this one because it was supposed to be the Cardinals and the Detroit Tigers. St. Louis is right now dealing with COVID, so that is a game that is not going to be played. So we move on to 903-904 on the betting board as it is the Pittsburgh Pirates. And they're in the road to face off against the Minnesota Twins. Jose Barrios is going to be going for the Minnesota Twins. Meanwhile, Joe Musgrove takes a bump for the Pittsburgh Pirates. This was supposed to be a Rich Hill start. As of right now, it looks like he's going to be on the injured list. So we've got a little bit of question mark with this one. But as it stands, you are going to be finding the Buccos in the one place I'm seeing this up at. At plus 212, the Minnesota Twins are minus 235 in your total on this game. Anywhere between 8.5 and, and 9. 8.5 and is just a minus 115 on the over, and the under is minus 105. On the 9, the under is just a minus 115, and the over is minus 105. That's over at 5 dimes, and they don't have a spread. They just have a total, so that is very intriguing, but I can tell you for sure. We are going to be getting Joe Musgrove in this game, and Joe Musgrove certainly has not necessarily been terrific, but he hasn't necessarily been awful to start out the year. He's made two starts, five and two-thirds innings, and he's given up three runs in each of them, and he's given up two home runs in each of them. It might help the fact that he's in a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark, but at the same time, it's probably not going to help the fact that he's going up against the Minnesota Twins, as with the Minnesota Twins, what you've noticed from this team, just a whole lot of deep shots. You've got a guy, Mitch Carver, who's not really hitting for average, but he's able to give you a couple bombs. Nelson Cruz, he does everything, hitting above a 330 right now. He's got a trio of home runs. Miguel Sano, he's not going to get on base, but he's going to hit you bombs. Max Kepler does a little bit of everything. Marwan Gonzalez has been able to come through, but it does seem like the Minnesota Twins are dealing with a couple injuries. You saw Josh Donaldson not in the fold on Monday. There are quite a few guys getting rest, and Luis Arias, who was hitting above a 300 during the 2019 campaign, it's not necessarily doing as good of a job of getting on base. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, ding dong, the witch is dead. They finally put some runs up on the board on Monday. They were able to get a home run out of Cole Tucker. Nice up-and-coming player for this team. You got to think that at some point these guys are going to be able to turn it around as you've got Jacob Stallings, Guillermo Redia, Josh Bell, Eric Gonzalez, Kevin Newman, Jose Ozuna, Brian Reynolds, all hitting a 212 or lower. It has been absolutely terrible for this team, and this is a team that did a very good job of being able to get on base during the 2019 campaign, so you got to think that they are going to be able to do a little bit more with that regard. You take a look at Parillos, this is someone that during the 2019 campaign pitched a little bit better home to road, but you notice with Barrios during the second half of 2019, things really fell out on him the second half of 2019. He wound up having a little bit of a heightened ERA as he got off to a really nice start and then from there it was just all a downward tumble as after the all-star break he had an ERA north of a 4-5 including a 757 a Boeing 757 in August so that certainly was not the best of things and this is someone that at home typically does a little bit better than on the road but those splits are a little bit less magnified now in his time and place of his career I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game but with that said with Minnesota dealing with a couple injuries I do think that this is a good spot for the Pittsburgh Pirates to be able to steal one and get some buried treasure on the road. So for that reason, we are going to be taking the Pirates. This is a bet that should be rated R, but we are going to be taking the Pirates and we're going to be taking this little under. 905-906 on the betting board. You've got yourself the Cincinnati Reds and they are going to be playing with the Cleveland Indians as we are on to Cincinnati and we are on to the Believers as 
Shane Bieber Fever is going to be going for the Cleveland Indians. Meanwhile, Tyler Molly is on the bump for the Cincinnati Reds. If you're looking at the Reds, you're going to be finding a plus price here anywhere between plus 150 and plus 160. If you're looking at the Cleveland Indians, anywhere between minus 165 and minus 175. Total on this game is 8. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Unders anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. In a typical 162-game season with Shane Bieber being able to get 27 punch-outs in his first two starts, he'd be on pace if he wound up making his normal start starts for 445 strikeouts. Not even kidding. That's just absolutely ridiculous. You've got fielding independence and everything like that. You take a look at the top ones. Shane Bieber's fielding independent is actually a negative. He's that good. So apparently opponents are just giving back runs whenever Shane Bieber's out there on the mound. I just found that absolutely hilarious. But with that said, this guy has been dealing. It certainly has been a great run for him. But you do have to have the questions with this Cleveland Indians offense. It has not been good this year to say the least. Entering into Monday, this team had played one over all year long. You do have someone that's doing a little bit of something for this team. And Jose Ramirez, he was not good during the 2019 season. That is putting it politely. But he's sitting above a 300 right now. Francisco Lindor seems to be finding a little bit of something, a little bit of a rough year for him, but he wound up being able to take Sonny Gray deep on Monday. That's going to be able to help out this team. You need the Santanas to get going. Domingo along with Carlos Santana are both hitting a 215 or lower. Oscar Mercado is not getting on base to save his life. Roberto Perez, the normal catcher for this team, is out, so now you have to rely upon Sandy Leon, and Sandy Leon is hitting below a 200 as well. And then with the Cincinnati Reds, this is a bunch that they've got quite a few guys that have come in and have been able to make some contributions. Dick Castellanos along with Mike Boussakis. They have been absolutely terrific for Castellanos. He had two home runs in that double dip against the Detroit Tigers a few days ago. Shogo Akiyama wound up having the RBI hit in the first game of that double dip on Sunday as well, so that's big. You've obviously got Joey Votto. He's going to be able to get on base. Not hitting for as much power this year. And Tucker Barnard has been solid at the bottom of the rotation with the Indians. I really do like their bullpen. And I do think that the Cincinnati Reds are going to be able to get a formidable start out of Tyler Molly. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a great start. And keep in mind, with the Cincinnati Reds over the last two years in Tyler Molly starts, they're winning about 20% of their game. So they haven't been able to prevail. You take a look at Tyler Molly's first start of the year. It wasn't necessarily great. He winds up giving up two runs over the course of four innings. Just didn't have a lot of length. But I do think that this is a spot in which he'll be able to give five strong with the Reds' bullpen. It's a little bit hit or miss. Pedro Estrope, Rossiel Iglesias, guys like this. They're not terrible. They're not great. I think in the end, the Cleveland Indians are going to be able to pull it out. And I do think that it could be a little bit of a higher scoring game. I think that Shane Bieber is doing for a little bit of regression. I think that Molly's going to give up a little bit. And I'm just not necessarily bullish on the Cincinnati Reds. So I am going to wind up taking this total over just because it is a little bit lower. And I'm going to be riding with the Cleveland Indians on the money line. I don't want any part of the run line just because I just don't know if this is going to be a situation in which the Indians can pull it out by two runs. But I have faith that they're going to be able to pull it out. So going to lay a little bit of a chalky money line to go along with that over. 907-908 on the back board is up next. This is my New York Post play of the day as we've got the Boston Red Sox sitting the red face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Charlie Morton is going to be going for the Rays. Nathan Eovaldi for the Boston Red Sox. If you're looking at the Sox finding them anywhere between plus 130 and plus 138, you are going to be finding the Tampa Bay Rays anywhere between minus 140 and minus 148 and your total on this game is 8.5. For the most part, the under is just a minus 120 and the over is even and I'm seeing an 8 out there as well. That over has just a minus 115 and the under is minus 105. The Boston Red Sox pitching has not been good this year, and that's putting it politely. Starters are in the bottom five with regards to the entire staff's ERA, but Nathan Eovaldi has been very solid. In two starts, 11 total innings, he's only walked two, and with the Tampa Bay Rays, this is a team that has a collective is hitting 
right around at 215. They have been absolutely terrible with the bat. You're getting a little bit of something out of Joey Wendell and Willie Adamas, but... Other than Brandon Lau, past those guys, you're getting absolutely nothing. Hunter Renfro, he's given the team two home runs, but I've never really liked him because he doesn't get on base. And he's hitting a buck 82 so far this year. And with the Boston Red Sox, this is a team that is in the top five in the big leagues with regards to batting average. Driving guys in has not necessarily been their forte, but you do have someone in Christian Vasquez, 323 average, four home runs, nine RBI. I like what he brings to the table. Kevin Pillar has been hitting right around a 380. I don't know how and I don't know why, but he has been doing a solid job. And you got to think that guys like Rafael Devers, J.D. Martinez, Verdugo... All these guys are in a 235 or lower are going to be able to pick it up for the Red Sox. They certainly are locked and loaded. Kevin Pulowski is hitting a 500 as well, so that's a little bit absurd. And then you just take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays. Who are you going to bank on to be able to get that big hit? I just don't know. But with the Rays, we all know this. They've always got a good bullpen. They are without Colin Pooch. He is not going to be on the field for this one. Austin Meadows is still dealing with COVID-19. I do think that a Rays team that is in the top five when it comes to being able to draw walks is just not going to be done in with that regard because Nathan Eovaldi has only given up two walks in his first two starts of the year, so I don't think that they're going to be able to generate a lot of offense. Charlie Morton has given up eight runs in nine innings so far this year. He was terrific during the 2019 season. I think that he's going to be able to do a better job in this start, but with that said, I think that Eovaldi has a leg up in this start. I know that the Red Sox bullpen certainly is not that of the Rays, but I think that Eovaldi is going to be able to give quite a few strong innings in the Rays. They're just generally lost at the plate, so we're going to be taking this total under, and we are going going to be riding with the Boston Red Sox. 909-910 on the betting board was supposed to be Yankees and the Baltimore Orioles. Obviously, that is not going to be taking place, so we move on to 911-912 on the betting board. The New York Metropolitans are going to be in the road to face off against the Washington Nationals. Patrick Corbin goes for the Nats. Meanwhile, Steven Matz is on the bump for the Mets. If you're looking at this total, it is 9.5. Over is just anywhere between minus 115 and minus 105. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 105. And if you're looking at the Nationals, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 132 and minus 140. If you're looking at the Metropolitans, you're going to be finding them as high as a plus 128 as I'm seeing it, as low as a plus 120. And this is a situation which I've got to be sticking my chips in the basket of the Washington Nationals. Patrick Corbin looked good in his first start of the campaign. I believe that that was one in which they wound up losing late, but he wound up being able to give the team north of six innings. One of the few guys out there that have been able to do that so far this year since. Starting pitchers just have not been going quite as long, but then you take a look at the New York Mets. Steven Matz is always a mystery for this team. He's given two starts so far this year. 3-180 RA, so it's not like he's just been completely barbecued, but he's given up three home runs so far this year. That has really been the big bugaboo. Had a solid start in his first outing against the Atlanta Braves. Six strong, gives up one run, and then against the Boston Red Sox, he winds up giving up a pair of home runs. Things did not necessarily go his way there, and we know with the New York Mets, this is an absolutely terrible bullpen. No ifs, ands, or buts about it, and I will say for the Washington Nationals, their bullpen certainly has some question marks as well. But you are going to have fresh for this game. Your guys like Sean Doolittle, Danny Hudson, and Tanner Rainey. Feels like you've really got three trustworthy arms for the Nationals. They are all going to be on call in this one. And you got to think that Juan Soto is going to be back and at full force for the Washington Nationals, obviously. He wound up being out to begin the year for COVID-19. It sounds like he should be back out there on the field. Even if not, you still got Trey Turner down for what? Along with Adam Eaton. Both these guys do a good job of getting on base with Trey Turner a few years ago. He led the league in stolen bases. You've got Sterling Castro, who's been hitting 
hitting a 360. That's been absolutely remarkable. It's a big reason why this team has not felt as much of a blow without Soto to begin the year. And then you got Carter Keyboom. He is a prospect that has been talked about by quite a few guests on this podcast. He's hitting a 444. Victor Robles at the bottom of the lineup. He's been doing solid. And then for the New York Mets, this is just a team in which you don't know what you're going to be able to get out of them from game to game. They wind up putting up a grand total of one run between Saturday and Sunday. They erupt for seven against the Atlanta Braves. Now that was with Mike Soroka obviously going out of that game on Monday. But with that said, they were able to have their good go of it there. You do have someone in Robinson Cano who is very much up there in years. He's hitting a 412, and he's been able to give the team seven RBI so far this year. That's been nice for the team, but Wilson Ramos, Brandon Nimmo, Pete Alonzo. I mean, these guys have been not necessarily good. Dominic Smith is hitting right around at 215. You got to think that Jeff McNeil is going to continue to be a big part of this team. He wound up getting the day off on Monday, but he has certainly been a solid player. But Brian Dozier has as many hits as myself. I think that Patrick Corbin is going to be able to sign me them in this spot. And I do think that Steven Matz is going to be okay. I think that you're going to get another classic Steven Matz like six innings, gives up three runs sort of spot. So for that reason, I am going to be going with this little under, but got to ride with the Washington Nationals in this spot. We move on to 913-914 on the betting board. This was supposed to be the Phillies and the Miami Marlins. Thank you, COVID-19. This game is not going to be happening. 915-916 on the betting board is up next. The Atlanta Bravos are going to be playing with the Toronto Blue Jays. If you're looking at the Blue Jays, you've got Matt Schumacher on the mound and Max Freed is taking the bump for the Atlanta Braves. If you're looking at this total, it is 9. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and even, and the under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The Blue Jays' money line sits anywhere between plus 150 and plus 163. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Atlanta Braves, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 161 and minus 176. So, certainly a wide range there. And this is a spot in which I do think that Matt Shoemaker is going to be able to give a good start. He wound up winning every one of his starts that he made for the Toronto Blue Jays during the 2019 season. Now, it was only five starts for them, but whenever he's been out there on the mound and healthy, he's been solid. And he had a good first start to the 2020 season. He winds up going six innings. He gives up in the process one run. Looked very solid. He's not necessarily a guy that's going to get you a whole bunch of punch outs, but does a good job of not walking, guys. And then for free, he has looked very good so far this year. In two starts, 231 ERA, 11 and two-thirds innings, 12 strikeouts, has not given up a home run, and for that matter, just five hits. So he certainly has been able to get the job done there with the Toronto Blue Jays. This is a team that has been in a, just a wide range of disarray. They wound up having their games canceled over the weekend. They are now going to be playing their home games in the lovely city of Buffalo instead of in Toronto. So that is certainly a really interesting situation. But to ask Hernandez at the top of the lineup, he certainly has been a concept for this team. 321 batting average, four home runs, six RBI. That has been really nice. You've seen Vlad Guerrero Jr. not be able to hit for average, but he's able to give this team a little bit of pop. And you got to think that this team is going to be able to get a little bit more healthy. They were dealing with an injury to Bo Bichette about a week or so ago. He was able to return to the fold in that last game against Washington. He had two hits. That's going to help them out. And then you got Lourdes Gurriel. He's hitting above a 300. you got to like what he's able to bring to the table. Heck, even Derek Fisher has been able to hit for this bunch. And then you take a look at the other side for the Atlanta Braves. They wound up having a little bit of a doldrum day after they were able to really take it to the Mets in the first part of that series. For the Braves, it's just really been intermittent with the bats because you've got a pair of guys in Marcel Ozuna along with Travis Arnaud who wound up getting the start at catcher on Monday who have been doing a great job of getting on base along with Dainsby Swanson. But you take a look at this outfield. Ronald Acuna Jr., Ender Enciarte, both these guys hitting a 230 or lower. Ozzy Albies is hitting below the Mendoza line. 
Freddie Freeman just does not look like himself this year. 370 on base, but only a 216 batting average. Matt Adams is continuing to do Matt Adams things. He's hitting below the Mendoza line, so that is not necessarily even great. So I do think that the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be able to stymie the Atlanta Braves with the Blue Jays. The bullpen has been a little bit of a concern, but you're going to have everyone on deck in this one. I'm pretty sure that Ken Giles is still injured. I'm going to be handicapping it as if you're not going to have him available in this start, but with that said, certainly going to be taking a look at the Toronto Blue Jays in this spot, and I think it's going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game here, as I think you're going to get a good pitcher's duel, so I'm going to take this little under. 917-918 on the banking board. You've got the Chicago White Sox sitting the road to face off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Brandon Woodruff is going to be going for the crew. Meanwhile, Lucas Giolito goes for the Chicago White Sox. Your total on this game's 8.5. Over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Sox, you're going to be finding them anywhere between even money and plus 105. Meanwhile, with the Brew crew, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. For the Brewers, it has been an almighty slog to begin the year, but ding dong, the witch is dead. Christian Yelich wound up being able to get on base on Monday. That was huge because he was like 1 for 28 to begin the season. So that double certainly helped this team out. Now they are going to be without Lorenzo Cain for the rest of the year. He opted out of the campaign and You've got a pair of guys that are unlikely sources of offense right now. In Orlando, Arcia and Ben Gamble. They right now are hitting above a 300. That's been nice. Kesson Hira has said hip hip you're out to a pair of home runs. He's been okay at the dish, but with that said, when you take a look at the Chicago White Sox, you've got a lot of firepower in this lineup. Adam Engel, Lurie's Garcia, James McCann, Luis Robert, Yoan Mancada, all hitting a 300 or higher. Now, Tim Anderson is going to be out of the fold. He's dealing with an injury. Obviously, the AL batting champion from 2000 and 19, but even Nick Madrigal has been doing a solid job of being able to get on base. They now have back in the fold Nomar Mazzara as well. He was a pickup in the offseason from the Texas Rangers. Gotta think that that's going to bolster them a little bit. And for the White Sox in general, you take a look at the fact that they wound up having to use a lot of their bullpen on Monday. That is a little bit of a concern, but you still have guys like Evan Marshall, Aaron Bummer and company that all do a very solid job. And then with Lucas Giolito, rough first start of the year. No question about it. But then from there, he was able to pick it up Second start of the year, six scoreless innings. I was against a Cleveland Indian team that is failing to hit, but the Milwaukee Brewers are failing to hit right now. And for Brandon Woodruff, it's been a good start to the year for him. In two starts, he's got 15 punch outs and 11 and a third innings. This is really the one guy for the Milwaukee Brewers that you can see going very far into his start. So I do think that that is something that is going to be able to help them out. He does a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard, and he's going to need to because this is a White Sox team that with someone like Luis Robert, who is a AL Rookie of the Year contender, along with Eli Jimenez, who is just absolutely absolutely terrific. Woodruff is going to need to keep the ball in the yard, and I just think that at some point he's going to wind up giving up one of those bombs with the Milwaukee Brewers. You still have a pretty solid bullpen, and a team that is used to not getting necessarily the deepest of starts. So for that reason, I'm going to go with the total under, but I think that Giolito gives a good start here, and the White Sox have enough power to get by, so for that reason, going to be riding with the White Sox and this total under. Game 919-920 on the betting board. You've got yourself the Kansas City Royals sitting the road to face off against the Chicago Cubs. Kyle Hendricks goes for the Cubbies. Meanwhile, Brady Singer is going to be going for the Kansas City Royals. This is a total that's off the board, as per usual, with Wrigley Field. But I've been noticing that the wind has been blowing in in recent days as I've been doing this podcast. So probably thinking that the is going to be the same. Obviously, we're going to know a little bit more 
come the morning. But with that said, if you're looking at the money line in this one, you're finding the Cubs anywhere between minus $2 and seeing size minus 210. If you're looking at the Royals, you're going to be finding anywhere between plus 175 and plus 180. And Kyle Hendricks is just a vastly different pitcher home to road. If you take a look over the last two seasons, Kyle Hendricks on the road, ERA north of five at home, ERA hovering right around two. I mean, it's just vastly different. We saw him get that complete game shutout to wind up beginning the year. I really like what he's able to provide at Wrigley Field. And for Singer, he's actually been pretty decent in his first two starts. Five innings apiece. He's given up pretty much two runs in each of them. He's been able to do a sell job with that regard. Now, I will say he has given up two home runs. And with the Chicago Cubs, this is a lineup that you got to think that they're going to be hungry for some runs. They have scored four runs or fewer in each of their last three games. And you've got some guys that are able to do a good job of mashing for this team. You've got in there a guy like an Anthony Rizzo and Javi Baez. Both these guys are hitting at 225 or lower. That obviously has not been great. And Chris Bryant wound up returning to the fold on Monday. He had been hitting below 100. He was able to get to it, so that was a little bit of a turnaround there. You got to think that Kyle Schwarber along Jason Hayward at some point are going to be able to pick it up. But Ian Happ at the bottom of the fold, he's been able to give this team a couple home runs. Nico Horner has been solid at being able to get on base. And then you've got a guy in David Bodie who I've always liked. And then you've got for the Kansas City Royals with Mirafield who wound up not getting a hit for the team on Monday, but by and large, he's been doing a great job of being able to get on base. Jorge Soler is out hitting in the tool on base percentage right around a 400. Salvador Perez has been okay. He wound up missing the entire 2019 season due to injury. He wound up having COVID-19 and he has persevered through all that. You just have a couple guys like Alex Gordon who's a little bit over the hill. Brett Phillips has not been able to get on base. Adalberto Mondesi hitting right around a 240, but he just doesn't draw walks. And with this Kansas City Rails team, the bullpen has a couple trustworthy guys like Ian Kennedy, but he wound up getting used up on Monday, so that is going to be a little bit of an issue with the Chicago Cubs. I do think that they should be able to pull this one out by multiple runs. I do think that Singer is going to see a little bit of regression because he is giving up a couple walks. He is giving up some hard contact. I think that that's going to catch up with him. With the total, obviously we need to see what it is in the morning. If you're seeing a total of like 7.5 or 8, if the wind is like really blowing in, I might take a look at an over. If you're seeing it north of 8 in that spot, I would be looking at an under, but if you're seeing the wind blowing out, it completely throws things for a loop a little bit, so check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNR Squirty1 for the total, and I'm going to be looking at the Cubs run line with not having a total right now that is off the board, so I will have that in the morning as well. 921-922 uh, is up next, as you've got the Colorado Rockies, and they're playing out to the San Francisco Giants. It looks like the San Francisco Giants are going to be going with Kevin Gosman. We've seen some head fakes from our good buddy Gabe Kapler in recent weeks, so don't bank on that, but it looks like Kevin Gosman is going to be going for the San Francisco Giants. Meanwhile, Evan Marquez is going to be going for the Colorado Rockies. This is listed up at a couple books right now, and right now what you're noticing is that the Rockies are anywhere between minus 135 and minus 185 favorites. Meanwhile, the Giants are going to be finding them anywhere between plus 155 and plus 165, and your total on this game is 12.5. Overshoots anywhere between minus 115 and minus 105. Unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 105. And with Herman Marquez, he had a little bit of a rough 2019, but he has come out and he has looked very solid here in 2020. You've got to love the way that he has been able to perform for this bunch. And then you take a look at the flip side. This is a guy in Kevin Gosman that is just not giving a lot of length right now for the San Francisco Giants. When he was traded to the Atlanta Braves a few years ago, he was okay, but you can tell that this is someone that just has not found his stuff. The San Francisco Giants wound up having a little bit of a bullpen implosion on Monday. That certainly is not necessarily the best of things. And for Marquez, I think that he should be able to deal in this spot as he's given up a grand total of two runs 
Swanson has two starts so far this year. 14 strikeouts. Obviously, Coors Field is a little bit of a different animal, but I like what he's doing for the Colorado Rockies. This is a team that they are getting some offense generated. You do have to like the fact that Nolan Arenado has come back home, and he's been able to give this team a bit of something. He was able to get his first home run of the campaign on Monday. Trevor Story, he's already written four chapters in his home run book so far this year. David Dahl has been hitting right around a 265, and then you've got Daniel Murphy, who's just a professional hitter, and Matt Kemp at the DH spot. He's finally found his calling because this is someone that he's just too anxious to be able to play the field, but he's been able to do a solid job there. And then when you take a look at the San Francisco Francisco Giants. This is a team that is getting something out of our good buddy, Mr. Mikey Stremski. He winds up going deep once again on Monday. This guy is white hot. Donovan Solano is hitting above a 400. Evan Longoria hitting above a 335. Omer Flores has been able to give this team a little bit of something. Now, you aren't getting a lot out of Brandon Crawford, and then you bring in Steven Duggar, and he's been doing a little bit of nothing, but by and large, this is a San Francisco Giants team that's putting up runs. With that said, I just don't know how long this is going to be able to keep up. You do have a bunch of younger guys that I do feel like are going to be a little bit feast or famine. Chadwick Trump at the catcher spot was able to get a home run in that series against the Texas Rangers, but you got to think that this team is going to miss Buster Posey at some point. I do think that the Rockies should be able to take it to the San Francisco Giants, but I think that Marquez is going to be able to give a good start here. I'm going to be looking at the Rockies on the run line with this being offered at so few books right now. We really don't have run line prices, so that is to be determined, and I think that this total is just a little bit too high because I do think that Marquez is going to do a good job of showing down the San Francisco Giants, so we're going to be taking this total under as well. 923-924 on the betting board is up next. You've got the Texas Rangers, and they're in the road face off against the Oakland A's. Asus Lazardo is going to be going for the Oakland A's. Meanwhile, for the Texas Rangers, Lance Lynn, your total on this game is 8, with the over having just anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. I am seeing an 8.5 out there, but that is heavily juiced. Under's at minus 125. The over's at plus 105. And if you're looking at the A's, you're going to be finding them anywhere we're between minus 145 and minus 152. Hey, and if you're looking at the Texas Rangers, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 130 and plus 137. And this is a situation which I've got to be taking a look at the Texas Rangers. I do like the way that their bullpen has looked so far this year. Nick Goody is going to be available for this game. I think that that's going to be a little bit of an impact for this bunch with the Texas Rangers. They certainly have been scuffling to score runs. Joey Gallo has been able to give this team a little bit of something from a hitting perspective. And the trip to San Francisco was able to help them out a little bit as the San Francisco Giants are just using a very awkward pitching style to say the least or just using the wholesale approach and it feels like Gabe Kapler just has no idea what he's doing but since Chu was able to give the team a home run on Sunday he's only been hitting a buck 50 Elvis Andrews he's hitting below the Mendoza line which is 200 Todd Father Todd Frazier he's in that same boat and then you've got Jeff Mathis who's hitting a 500 I guess that's a little bit of something but by and large you're just not getting a lot out of this lineup in general uh, but then you take a look at the Oakland A's prior to Monday they had scored more than three runs in regulation, which means that in the nine innings that you typically play, they wound up having that walk-off grand slam in the extra inning game that they played against the LA Angels. But in actual nine inning games, they had scored more than three runs just once prior to Monday. They explode for eight runs in the fifth inning against the Seattle Mariners. I just don't think that that's necessarily going to be sustainable for this team. You take a look at them, they do a better job of hitting lefties and righties and Lance Lynn. Well, bad news is he is a right-handed pitcher. And for the Oakland A's, it just feels like they're 
they're very much all or nothing. Even going back to Sunday against the Seattle Mariners, all three of their runs came on one swing of the bat with Ramon Loreno being able to get a three-run home run, and it's just not sustainable because this is a team that's not getting on base in general. Loreno is hitting above a 300. You've got Marcana hitting in the neighborhood of a 300, and then Steven Piscotti has been able to pick it up, but the Mets, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, along with Marcus Simeon, Chad Pinder, along with Murphy at the catcher spot, they're all hitting a 200 or lower, and Chris Davis is hitting below 100. I mean, Chris Davis, ever since the beginning of the 2019 campaign, this guy is just completely lost in the shuffle, so I do think that this is certainly going to be a little bit of a scoring game and with this being in Oakland during the nighttime you're going to have the marine layer out which means that it's harder than to pump out a ball and with Jesus Lizardo I don't understand why they were having him piggybacking with Frankie Montas to begin the year because this is in my opinion one of the better starters that we're going to see in the future of the American League I really like his stuff he's got a vibrant fastball and you take a look at what he's done for the campaign he's wanted making a couple long relief appearances six and two-thirds innings he's only given up one run seven punch outs in the process and then with Lance Lynn this dude has been nothing short of amazing so far. How about in 12 innings in his two starts, no runs given up, 17 strikeouts on six walks are a little bit high, but he's only given up three hits. With the Oakland A's being unable to get hits, I think that it bodes very well for the Texas Rangers. I think that this is going to be a low-scoring game, and one that I think that in the end, Texas is going to be able to pull out in a pair of scuffling offenses. So, we're going to be going with this total under, and we are going to be riding with the Rangers of Texas. 925-926 on the board is up next. You've got yourself the San Diego Padres playing against the LA Dodgers. Dustin May goes for the Dodgers. Denelson Lamette for the San Diego Padres. If you're looking at the pods, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Dodgers, anywhere between minus 126 and minus 130. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over juice, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The unders, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. And with Dustin May, you wound up getting a surprise opening day start, and he's looked pretty solid for the Dodgers, but he hasn't been able to give a lot of length. Seven to two-thirds innings, he's given up in the process two runs, so he's been able to keep games out in front of him, but he's just been giving up a lot of contact. Ten hits in those seven and two-thirds innings. That's a little bit of an issue. And we're noticing it with the San Diego Padres. They're one of the top scoring teams out there in the big leagues. They once again reached a 5-plus plateau. They had one game against the Colorado Rockies in which they were unable to do so, but they have really scored 5-plus runs in all but one of their games over the past, I think it's now 8 games. So, they've been doing an absolutely terrific job there. They bring in Tommy Pham in the offseason, and the Tampa Bay Rays should have never let him go. He's hitting right around a 300. He's been absolutely terrific. You take a look at what you're getting out of Fernando Tatis Jr. He has been absolutely terrific, and just below a 300. He's able to give you some pop. Trent Grisham has a trio of home runs. Manny Machado has not necessarily lived up to his contract quite yet, but how about what they're getting out of a very unlikely source in Jake Cronenworth? He's hitting above a 350 right now, and then you got the famine bats like Austin Edges, Jerickson Profar, along with our good buddy Francisco Mejia, and then when you take a look at the Dodgers, obviously you've got some firepower in this lineup. Jack Peterson was able to get a leadoff home run in the game on Monday. A.J. Pollock has been doing a terrific job of getting on base. You gotta think that Max Muncie and Cody Bellinger are going to be able to pick it up. Those two, along with Chris Taylor, are all hitting a 230 or lower. The catcher spot in general has let this team down, but I do think that the Dodgers at some point are going to be able to pick it up. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. Obviously, it's a pitcher's park, and with the San Diego Padres, you've got a very dominant bullpen, but let's not sleep on the Dodgers either. They've got a solid bullpen as well. I think that this is going to be a low scoring game, but my big fear is Nelson Lamette just giving up a bunch of walks. He wound up in five innings in his last start against the San Francisco Giants, giving up only one run, but he had to try an eight men on base in the process. He gave up four walks. This is someone that just runs up his pitch count. As a result, he typically doesn't give you a lot of length. So for that reason, we are going to be going with the Dodgers and the total under. We move on to 927-928 on the batting board. You got the Houston Astros and they are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Madison Bumgarner is going to be going for the Arizona 
Arizona Diamondbacks. As it's currently listed on the Vegas betting board, it is to be determined, but it looks like it is going to be Christian Javier who's going to be going for the Houston Astros. As a result, you've got a couple offshore books that have listed a line on this game. Right now with the Houston Astros, you're finding them anywhere between minus 117 and minus 121. With the D-backs, anywhere between plus 101 and plus 107. Total is anywhere between 9 and 9.5. On the 9.5, under juice of minus 120, the over is even. With the 9, flip it. Over is juice of minus 120, and the under is even. And with Javier, this is someone that is actually very good for the Houston Astros. You take a look at what he did between his time with AA and AAA during the 2019 season. An ERA of a buck 74. Absolutely ridiculous. Now, length is going to be a question with him, but he's already won six and two-thirds innings in the big league so far this year. 135 ERA. One was a very long relief appearance. One was a start. So far, so good for him. I really like this kid. Meanwhile, with Madison Bumgarner, he's a wily veteran. We all know what to expect out of him. This is someone that he's probably going to wind up giving you six strong innings. I do like what he's able to bring to the table. And with the Arizona Diamondbacks, we know this. The offense has been scuffling, and I think I'm putting it very politely when I say that. You've got the Martin who have been able to give you a little bit of something. Gattel Marte, along with Starling Marte, are both hitting above a 285 for this bunch. With Gattel Marte, he obviously had a terrific 2019 campaign. And then Christian Walker's been able to hit right around a 300 for this bunch so far this year. But past that, other than Carson Kelly, who's hitting like in the 225 range, you pretty much have everyone else in the starting lineup hitting below the Mendoza line. With the Arizona Diamondbacks, you've been able to get a little bit of something out of the bullpen in Archie Bradley. Andrew Jaffin is typically unreliable, but I do think that the Arizona Diamondbacks who have a couple guys that they're able to rely upon, including being able to get a couple innings out of Taylor Clark as well. And then when you take a look at what you're able to get out of the Houston Astros bullpen, it has been far from great. Roberto Azuna has come into some big spots and he hasn't wound up being able to get the job done. You also take a look at what you're able to get out of a guy like a Sneed. It certainly has not been great. And for the Houston Astros, the top of the lineup has been scuffling for this team. You take a look at Alex Bregman along with Jose Altuve and George Springer. All these guys are hitting a 211 or lower. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise. They don't have trash cans anymore. Kyle Tucker, he's hitting at the Mendoza line. And I will say this as well. If you're looking at the trash cans, Yuri Gurriel hitting right around 295. He's been able to give this team a little bit of pop. Michael Brantley's hitting above a 400. He has been absolutely terrific. Carlos Correa has been in and out of the fold, but he's been able to do a little bit of something. And then you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks. It certainly has been a struggle on offense, like I mentioned, but I just cannot trust in the Houston Astros being able to get too much out of their bullpen. I think that the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be able to erupt for just enough in this spot. I think that the Wiley veteran and Madison Bumgarner are going to do a good job of keeping the Houston Astros at bay. So for that reason, we are going to be taking this little under, and I'm going to be taking the Arizona Diamondbacks in this spot. And we move on to 929-930 on the betting board as 931-932 and 933-934 are games that are not going to be played. It's supposed to be Miami versus Baltimore, 933-934, and 931-932 has already been postponed from what I'm seeing, between the Phillies and the New York Yankees. So we wrap it up with Angels setting the road to face off against the Seattle Mariners, 929-930. It is going to be Justin Dunn trying to get her done for the Seattle Mariners. Meanwhile, Andrew Heaney is going to be going for the LA Angels. If you're looking at the Angels, find them anywhere between minus 190 and minus 185. Meanwhile, with the Seattle Mariners, anywhere between plus 170 and plus 175. Total on this game is 9. Overs anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And the unders anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115 with the Seattle Mariners has been a little bit of a slog for them on offense recently, but you do have to like the fact that Kyle Lewis has been able to do a solid job for this bunch. He's been able to chip in there some runs, and obviously the bullpen of the Seattle Mariners, it is not good. They wound up giving up a whole god ton of runs to the 
Oakland A's on Monday, and Oakland A's team that had badly been struggling, but getting back to the lineup, J.P. Crawford's hitting above a 300, over a 400 on base. Kyle Seager's been getting on base at a right around a 400, and Lewis, 447 on base. He has been absolutely terrific. Even Chad Long has been able to do a good job. Now you take a look at the bottom of the lineup. Daniel Vogelback along with Marmajoles. Hopefully I'm saying that one correctly. That's always a little bit of a crazy name. And then you've got Malik Smith along with our man Evan White. They are all hitting a buck 35 or lower. It is absolutely atrocious. And then whenever you take a look at the flip side for the LA Angels, you have to note that Mike Trout is currently not in the fold and the bullpen for the LA Angels, while it certainly has not been good. Ansel Robles has been a trash can reliever so far this year. You've got Cam Bedrosian who does a good job out of the pen. He should be available for this one, but you take a look at this LA Angels team. You've got a couple guys that are doing a solid job of being able to get on base. Tommy LaSalle has not necessarily been able to find the same form that he had during the 2019 campaign yet, but you got to figure that he's going to be able to get online. Joey Otani is now hurt, so that's obviously a little bit of an issue for the Angels as he wound up having multiple home runs in that series against Seattle. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of some of these guys. Like Jason Castro, it's been a little bit of something, but you still have to have your question marks with guys like Luis Rangifo, Anthony Rendon sitting at the Mendoza line, though I will say David Fletcher and Brian Goodwin, both these guys hitting at 350 or higher. I do think that this is going to be a bit of a higher scoring game, even though it is in Seattle during the nighttime. And with Andrew Heaney, he just has been pulled from games too soon. Joe Madden has done way too much over managing. He has went fewer than 75 pitches in all of his starts so far this year, and he has a tendency to give up home runs right around one and a half home runs per nine innings, but he also is a guy that throughout his career has had over 10 punch-outs per nine innings, so for that reason, I am going to go with the total over. I do think that there's value here on the Seattle Mariners, despite the fact that, well, Justin Dunn, he certainly has not been able to give this team a lot of length either. You take a look at his first start against the LA Angels. He wound up not being able to get past the fourth inning and gave up two runs in the process. This is someone that saw a couple starts during the 2019 campaign. He wound up making four starts. He went six and two-thirds innings, so certainly that is going to be a little bit of an issue. So for that reason, I certainly am going to be taking a look at this total over, but you do take a look at that last start by Dunn. The team was able to come up with, I believe it was either eight or ten runs. That was one of the higher scoring games that you saw from the Seattle Mariners. I think that you might see the same in this one. So for that reason, we are going to be going with the Mariners and this total over, and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Tuesday. Big thanks to Scott Seidenberg of a variety of different outlets, including ESPN Radio and the Believe Podcast Network for joining me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And if you ever have a question for the podcast, fired in my timeline at Jerry's 41. Hopefully you're all safe, healthy, and doing well. I will talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.